Hey, if you would take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Where it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, I thank God, whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, but without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we need to remember the good gifts of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, that we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto we do well to take heed, as unto light that shineth in a dark place. We live in a world that's filled with darkness and uncertainty, catastrophes, panic, hysteria, and all these things. But as children of of God, I pray that you help us to be reminded that you are in control, that nothing has taken you by surprise, that you know the end from the beginning, and your plan and purposes will be fulfilled. So Lord, just help us to rest in your promises, not to react to the things we see in the world, but to make to act upon the truths of the Word of God using wisdom and discretion that you give us as we're directed by your Holy Spirit, that we might be pleasing unto thee, we might be a testimony to the grace of God, the world that knows thee not. Just be glorified, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three times in this passage, Paul uses the word remembrance. In verse 3, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers. Verse 5, when I call remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Then again, verse 6, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. The word remembrance means to remind, to admonish. In Deuteronomy 8.18, as they were preparing to enter the promised land, Moses reminded the children of Israel, he says, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. When Nehemiah was directing the children of Judah and rebuilding rebuilding the walls there in Jerusalem, Nehemiah 4.14, he says, And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be ye not afraid of them. Of course, that was referring to Tobiah, Sanballat, and and uh, Gershom, I think his name was, said, Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. 
And even in the New Testament, many, many places, and particularly in 2 Peter, and by the way, as you think about 2 Timothy and 2 Peter, there's a lot in common here. In 2 Timothy, Paul is facing martyrdom. In 2 Peter, Peter's facing martyrdom. And both of them say, remember. Remember. Peter, in first, 2 Peter 1, verse 12 says, Wherefore I will not be negligent that you put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Yeah, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. And then again in chapter 3 and verse 1, The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And so it's good for us to be reminded or remember our God and his goodness to us. And Peter, or Timothy, or Paul here, the Apostle Paul, as he's facing martyrdom, and, and he's writing young Timothy, his son in the faith, as he called him, who was a pastor who was living in perilous times, and he tells him to remember. You need to remember some things. And we need to remember some things. Remember the goodness of God. And that God is, I want to look at some things here, God is a giver of gifts. If you look here in verse 6, it says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. You know, the gift here that he's talking about, the gift of God here, is the gift of prophecy that was given to Timothy. And, of course, that means he was set apart to teach or to preach the gospel. That he had the gift of prophecy, and it was given to him by the laying on of his hands. And, and we understand from James chapter 1 that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, once you think about it, it says there, every good gift and every perfect gift. The gifts God gives are perfect. They're not, they're not filled with flaws. Uh, they, are, they are perfect gifts. In other words, they suit the need and, and perfectly meet the need that we have. His gifts. They are perfect. Just think of several here. First of all, the gift of his son for a sacrifice of our sin, for our sin. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, uh, or 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, that great was the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. You know, it's an amazing gift that God who is eternal and without sin became a man who is temporal and died so that we could have the eternal life that only God could give. That's an amazing thing to me. That's why Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. How do you describe that? It's beyond our comprehension how God, God can become a man. He can become one of us so that he could die for us. And bring us back into fellowship with God. That's, 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 a, that's a, we would call that a perfect gift. A perfect gift. Uh, so the gift of a son, the gift of salvation. Of course, salvation is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. 
that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans 6.23 says, For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then God offers to anyone who will return to him in repentance and faith eternal life through Christ. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, You know, there are many things in this world we cannot be certain about. Many things. But we can be certain of this. That God in His kindness and mercy toward us offered us redemption through Christ. And we can know that we have eternal life. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that believe on the name of the Son of God. Paul says right here in 2 Timothy 1.12, For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He said, I know. I know. That I have eternal life. That there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, he would say in chapter 4. And so he he offers the gift of his son, the gift of salvation. And we also have the perfect gift of his word. In 2 Peter 1.19, the Bible says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well. You know, Peter is there talking about his experience that he had on this Mount of Transfiguration. And that was a wonderful experience to see Christ glorified before him and Moses and Elijah talking to him and talking about his decease or his death that was going to come at Jerusalem. That would have been a, a wonderful mountaintop experience. But Peter says, and we would say, you know, that, that's really a reliable account. And a lot of people would base their salvation on that. But Peter says, I have something more sure than that. I have something more certain than that. And that's the word of God. We have a more sure word of prophecy, where until you do well that you take heed. In Matthew 4, 4, the Bible says, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You know, we can be certain that God... Uh, will keep his word. What he has said, he will do. Because Titus 1-2 says, God that cannot lie. You know, some people say God can do anything. And, you know, and there's a certain element of truth to that. But there's one thing God cannot do. He cannot contradict his word. To do so would be contradicting himself, and he will not do it. You can be short of one thing, and this can be a comfort to you if you're saved. If you're not, if you're not saved, it, it, it's not going to be a comfort to you. But you can be short of one thing, that God is going to fulfill his word. And if you're saved this morning, you're going to have eternal life. And you're going to enter heaven when you leave this life. But if you're not saved, you're going to hell. That is certain. That is sure. Because God will keep his word. You see, God is a giver of gifts. And we see here the goodness of God. We notice also, as we look at the, back to this passage in verse 7, we see a confidence that God gives 
that permeates life. A, comp- a confidence that permeates life. Notice verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Spirit of fear. Of course, the word fear means to be afraid. To be paranoid. Do you see that in the world today? Yeah, we see that in many places. And I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't take precautions. And that this isn't real. But there is a lot of paranoia out there. Now, we don't have our confidence. We can have confidence in the Lord. We're not to have a spirit of fear. Proverbs 3.26 says, For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. The Lord shall be thy confidence. Proverbs 14.26, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. You see, we can have a confidence that permeates our life, even in the midst of turbulence in this world. After all, we have a divine purpose. Our purpose isn't confined to here, to this world. We have a divine purpose. We have a divine purpose. If you notice in verse 9, he says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. And so he says we have a divine purpose. Our purpose is, and we're not here for ourselves, so we, we should not be overcome with fear and anxiety whether things go our way or not. Because we're not here for ourselves. You know, Job said in Job 121, you know, he's lost his children, and he's lost his wealth. His wife said, curse God and die. And Job said, the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not here. Job, what Job is really saying in essence is, I'm not here for me. This, is, this isn't about me. This is about him. And, though, and Job went on further to say, and though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. This life isn't about me. It isn't about whether I get what I want. It's about glorifying my Lord and living for him. You see, we have a divine purpose. We're not here for ourselves. And we also... Secondly, have a persuasion of God's providence. Notice in verse 12. For which cause? Oh, I also suffer. See, we don't like that part, do we? For which cause? Why, what's the cause? Well, that purpose that I'm here for, that's the cause of my suffering. See, we, we often think that if we're in God's will, everything's going to go right, right? Everything's going to go well. We have no promise of that. I mean, the disciples went where Jesus told them. They got on the boat, and he sent from the other side, and there was a storm that threatened their very lives. But they were in the center of God's will. 
I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the center of God's will, and they got thrown into the fiery furnace. Not knowing whether the Lord would deliver them or not. Although they did ultimately know that he would deliver them, maybe through death. But they didn't know they were going to live or die. But they were in the center of God's will. You see, Paul's here, for, for which cause I also suffer. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You see, we can have a persuasion of God's providence. The word providence means that we, there's a foreseeing care and guidance of God. That whatever situation I find myself in, God sees and God cares. And he will overrule. But you know what? He may not do it the way we think it should be done. But we need to have confidence in his purpose for my life. In the midst of trials and sufferings, God knows, God cares, and he will see me through. Look at verse 15, he says, This thou knowest, that all they that which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom is Phagellus and Hermogenes. In chapter 4, in verses 6 through 8, you know, this is all part of the providence of God and Paul's suffering in the midst of that providence, but God was with him. Uh, chapter 4, verse 6 says, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You know, at the time that I'm going to be, to be, be put to death is here. I'm facing it. I know it's here, but I'm ready. Because this is God's purpose for me. You know, Roland Hammond said something at the Two years ago at the conference we were at in a message he preached, he said, what if it's God's will for us just to be used up? See, a lot of us chafe at that. Stephen. We don't know. But we need to trust God's providence and his purpose and his plan for our life it may not be for us all to live to be 80 years old and die natural deaths and look what he goes on here it says uh, verse 8 henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all them that also love is appearing Due to diligence to come to me shortly, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed on the Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus on the Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Antichicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom thou be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me, and strengthened me, 
that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, Paul wasn't having himself a pity party about all those that forsook him. He said, I know the Lord's going to deliver me to his heavenly kingdom. I'm trusting him. You know, we have a written record of people. A written record. Right here. Of people from all walks of life, servants, slaves, to kings and priests. Different nationalities of people. Some who received the truth and experienced God's favor and blessing. Some who rejected His truth and experienced His judgment and wrath. Some who received His truth and suffered torments and were martyred. And some who, it seemed, rejected His truth and yet lived. You know, it isn't for us to decide. It's for us to trust and obey. You know, sometimes we have this idea that God only saved the Jews in the Old Testament. You know, we have Joseph. We have favor of Joseph's day. I don't know if he saved or not, but he favored the children of Israel. The favor of Joseph's day. We have Jacob and Esau. Of course, Jacob desired spiritual things. Esau didn't care less about God. You have the Canaanites, all who were to be driven out of the land, but you had one, Rahab. See, God will save any that will come unto God by him. The sons of Eli, and then you had Samuel. You had Naaman the leper. Nineveh repented of the preaching of Jonah, but 150 years later it was destroyed. Again, by the judgment of God, as Nahum prophesied. We see, we, need to, we have a written record of people from all walks of life and all nationalities of people. And, and we need to simply trust his providence. Put our trust and our care in him. In Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth, and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Psalm 5, 11 and 12 says, But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous with favor. Thou wilt compass him as with a shield. You know, Satan said to God that he had a hedge about Job. You know what? He did. He did. But you know what? He allowed Satan to move that hedge. But God in his providence still took care of Job, even though he suffered. And so we need to trust God's providence. We may suffer in this life. And Paul said, 
My suffering is because of my ministry. For the which cause? Because of what God has given to me and the purpose that he's given for my life, it is the cause or the it is the reason I suffer these things. But you know what? If we suffer here for 70 years, what's that going to be in comparison to the wicked suffering for all eternity? I mean, it isn't any comparison. And so we need to have a confidence that permeates our life, trusting his purpose and his providence lives. Want you to notice the third thing? God gives power. Notice again verse 7, 2 Timothy 1. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. But of power. The word power means the power which the resurrection Christ has for instructing, reforming, elevating, tranquilizing the soul. Tranquilizing the soul. So he elevates, he reforms, he elevates, and he tranquilizes the soul. To tranquil, tranquil means free from commotion or tumult, peaceful, quiet, calm. Philippians 3.10, Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Because of the power of Christ in Paul's life, he was not he was not anxious or constantly worried about going into another city and possibly another riot against him. He had peace. It was a power that God gave him. You see, God can give us a power to have be at peace in the midst of storms, in the midst of trials. Somebody said that, and I don't know the ocean that well. I'm not a great fan of the ocean. Uh, a lot of dangers in the ocean. But they say, you know, the, the ocean can be very violent on the surface. But down underneath, you'd never know it doesn't change. And you know, the, the things of this world can be very turbulent and disturbing to us. But if we have the power of God in our hearts that, 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 that gives us rest and assurance in life, we can face those things without alarm, without fear. You see, this is the power that transformed Saul from this agitated and hateful man, persecuting man, into the Apostle Paul with the love of God burning in his heart, who was willing to face uh, unsurmountable obstacles to take the gospel to people who had never heard and not be worried about his own life, whether he lived or died. Because he said, to live is Christ. To die is gain. See, he understood his life was in the hand of God. 
And wherever God directed him, even if it meant the streets of Thessalonica, where the riot broke out, he was in God's hand. And as long as he was in God's hand, nothing can harm him unless God allowed it. That goes back to the providence of God. See, God says, I have engraven you upon my hands. Isaiah 49. John 10 says that we are in the Father's hand. Nothing can pluck us out of the Father's hand. See, Paul understood that. Through the power, we have this power. This power that tranquilizes the soul, gives us calm or peace in the midst of the storm. You know, this is how he could... Could, sitting in a Roman jail, not knowing whether he's going to live or die, and he would write to the church at Philippi, and he would say this, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he would say, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, how do you have comfort sitting in a jail cell not knowing whether you're going to live or die? He said, If you have any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy. That you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other than better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Paul, you need to be thinking about your own self. He said, no, I'm not really worried about about my own self, because my Lord has that all taken care of. In Philippians 4, he would say, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. He's sitting in a Roman jail cell not knowing whether he's going to live or die. And then he would say, let your moderation be done on all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. In other words, don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, God gives power. A power of peace and calm in the midst of the storm. God also gives a love that is pleasant. Notice verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. Of a sound mind. Love is somebody who's described love as a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. And this is not love for the world, this is love for people, not the love of things. You know, for God so loved the world, it's talking there about the people in the world, not the world. John tells us in 1 John 2 to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. But this is the love uh, of, of Tenderness, affection, uh, love is friendliness, kindness, tenderheartedness. Uh, Ephesians 4, 31, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking put them away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. See, love is giving. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love is putting others first, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let esteem, each esteem other the better than themselves. Uh, love shows compassion and concern for others and does not violate their rust. 
love does not force, coerce, or pressure. You know, the best example of this we could see is our Lord Jesus Christ. He never pressured anyone. You know what? We're not to pressure people. He didn't pressure the rich young ruler. He didn't even pressure the disciples to follow him. They all had choices they had to make on their own. And Paul said, God has given us this love. A love for others. Here's the man who persecuted Christians who now has a love for everyone, even his persecutors. You know, I don't know what I'd have done if I'd have been thrown in jail like he was at Philippi, and when the jailer went to kill himself, I don't know if I'd have said, don't do it. You know, my flesh would have said, he deserves it. But Paul said, do thyself no harm. We're all here. See, that's the kind of love that God has for us. Then I want you to notice the fifth thing. God gives purposeful actions. Notice again verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This is, this is purposeful actions. It's not reactions. Your reactions are circumstance-based and are fruits of instability. Fruits of feelings. As we heard about Samson this morning, his, he, he didn't act, he reacted. He, he, everything that Samson did was a reaction to something the Philistines did. That's how he lived his life. It was all reaction of his feelings to what somebody else did to him. It was very erratic. We would say he's an unstable person. No, we're not to have reactions, we're to have actions. And our actions are to be based on a mind that is under the control of the Holy Spirit. Notice again this verse. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The word sound mind means calling to soundness of mind, to moderation, to self-control. You know, of course, moderation means restraint, avoidance of extremes or excesses, temperance. So if we're to be temperate or moderate in our actions. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul talks to Timothy about this. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, where it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I have besought thee still, thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither giving heed to fables and endless genealogies which men are question, minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. 
Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. You know, don't give heed to fables. Don't react to these fables and endless genealogies, which just all all they do is minister questions and and, and they're for self exhortation and self exaltation, and they do not edify. Look at chapter or First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five, and verse eight, he says, "Be sober." That's a a similar word to the sound mind. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthen, settle you. Now, the man who's writing this, in his early days as a disciple, was pretty unstable. He's he would stick his foot in his mouth more often than not. In fact, at one point, his response to Jesus was so out of character, out of line, that Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God. You know, Peter had a habit of opening his mouth before he thought. Reacting. And here he is saying, be sober, be vigilant, because you've got an enemy that you need to resist steadfast in the faith. And then he says, God's grace can establish you, strengthen you, settle you. He can bring you into control. You know, if we have confidence in the goodness of God, that he is the giver of gifts, perfect gifts, gifts that completely and fully meet the need, we can avoid excess panic, emotion, anger, fearfulness that has gripped so many people. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Psalm 91.4, He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth his shall be thy shield and buckler. You know, a shield is something that a soldier carried to protect himself. A buckler is a shield, but it's something that's it's a it's like an earthen fortification. It may have been a rock, a tree. That was the difference between a shield and a buckler. But it was still a protection. And the psalmist is saying here, the Lord is my shield. He's the shield. He's the buckler. So when the Satan said to Job, 
God has a hedge about you. Yeah, he did. He had a shield. He had a buckler. Job was well protected. You know, if you're walking with God, you're well protected. That doesn't mean everything's going to go the way you think it should. That means God is going to fill his purpose in your life. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. Psalm 37 is applicable in this day of frantic and fear and fretting. Psalm 37, verse 1 through 9. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desire of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Seek, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. You know, God has given us not a spirit of fear, but a power of love of sound mind. And we need to remember that God is still in control. He is good. He has given us good gifts. And He will meet our needs. He didn't promise to give us our wants. We simply need to have confidence and trust in Him. I can understand how the world's in a panic. Because they have no hope. They have no hope. But we have hope. The Lord is our confidence. And we need to put our trust in Him. And act purposefully. I'm not saying just live like you always have. Use wisdom. Act wisely. Not carelessly, but wisely. But don't react to the panic and fear. Act purposely and rightly. Because we have hope beyond this life, we have a purpose that is beyond this world. And we have a God who oversees and cares for our needs. Is He your God? Do you have that confidence this morning?